Paid program may not represent the views of Hubbard Broadcasting Incorporated or Federal News Radio. Statements and opinions of this broadcast are solely those of individual contributors or advertisers as indicated. Federal News Radio does not take responsibility for those statements or opinions and accepts no responsibility or liability for any inaccuracy, errors, or omissions reported during this program. Welcome to the Business of Government Hour, a conversation about management with a government executive who is changing the way government does business. The Business of Government Hour is produced by the IBM Center for the Business of Government, which was created in 1998 to encourage discussion and research into new approaches to improving government effectiveness. You can find out more about the center by visiting us on the web at businessofgovernment.org. And now, the Business of Government Hour. Welcome to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host and leadership fellow at the IBM Center for the Business of Government. Federal IT modernization and the government's plan for shared services will require a whole-of-government response. These are the two reasons the U.S. General Services Administration, GSA, merged the Unified Shared Services Management Office with the Office of Executive Councils to form the Office of Shared Solutions and Performance Improvement. How will this office drive the future? of IT modernization, and what's next for shared services in the federal government. We'll explore these questions and so much more with our very special guest, Beth Angerman, the Deputy Associate Administrator for GSA's Office of Shared Solutions and Performance Improvement. Also joining our conversation from IBM is Jesse Sandberg. So Beth, welcome to the show. It's great to have you. Thank you so much for having me. Jesse, welcome. Thank you. Uh, Beth, what is the mission of GSA's Office of Shared Services and Performance Improvement? What prompted its creation? And what are some of the benefits of merging uni uh, the Unified uh, Shared Services Management Office and the Office of Executive Councils? So I'm going to tie the mission of our organization to what is recently has been released from the administration okay. and the president's management agenda, which I think is a really effective document on how we're going to, as a government, move the needle on having a more efficient management structure. Our organization, the SSPI, or the Shared Solutions Performance Improvement Team, is really dedicated to helping promote the president's management okay. agenda and execute toward it. And what we really quickly realized um, in USSM, the Unified Shared Service Management Team, was only about two years old when we realized, you know what, this could actually be a better team in trying to move the kind of the mission of shared services mm -hmm. forward if we actually align to the stakeholders in government who are going to be accountable for doing the work. And those stakeholders are the C-suite. It's yep. the chief information officers and the chief financial officers and the Performance Improvement Council and the President's Management Council. So it really made sense, and I think everybody needs to always be thinking about how you can make your organization more efficient. And what we said was, you know what? Let's bring these teams together. Let's make sure that the stakeholders who are really accountable for execution of this are working with the people who are thinking through the strategy for implementing the PMA so that we're getting all of the right input early and we're getting it often and we're all continuously focusing on the same kinds of problems mm -hmm. so that we can stay really committed to the priorities in the PMA. Mm -hmm. So our office really does help support from a strategic perspective on how we will execute the president's management agenda. 
We have a really strong engagement strategy, of, of course, with the, the C-suite councils, and we operate those councils um, in support of OMB as well. And we're working closely with agencies as well to really help connect the strategy and the plans for how we're going to do the PMA to the folks who are really out there in the field kind of being held accountable for moving their organizations in the right direction. Is that kind of gives a sense of um, well, what's the size of the new organization? How, how, how large is it? Is it, is it? is it pretty much mirror the organizational structure mirrors what you just talked about or is it is it kind of different a little bit? Oh, it's pretty much what I just talked about. We have about 20 some people okay. um, in the organization. We have a group that's dedicated to running the councils. We have a group that's dedicated to the shared service mission and helping agencies with preparing for transformations in their agencies, our Feds to Feds Solutions Group. Mm -hmm. um, and then we have that third branch, which is really doing some cross-cutting projects. And so those that group is dedicated to helping to take those projects using our councils and the different stakeholders to stand up real project management to help m move those kind of priorities forward. So I know your leadership role at USSM, you were the evangelist and out there sort of talking about what is it and what are we going to do and how has that changed now? Are we beyond the what is it? Are we more about the how to do it? How do you, how do you define your role? It depends on the audience, right? So if I'm talking to my family who lives in the Midwest, we're probably still at the what is it phase. So I'd like to start there for their benefit. And that is, and I think about shared services and I liken it to like, how do we live our everyday lives, right? I was at an event and I thought, I said, how many of you have ever hired a service to come cut your grass? Mm -hmm. Right? How many of you have ever thought about getting your groceries delivered? And that's really work that when you think about how you want to spend your time, you think strategically and you say, you know what, I don't have a lot of time to cut my grass. This is something that I am willing to pay for because these people know how to cut my grass. And I'm going to hire them to do it because I'm going to go do these other things that are probably, I'm going to spend time with my kids, right? Or I'm going to go spend time with my other family or I'm going to go do mission work, right? Or volunteer or whatever is more important to you, you have more time to do. So if you liken that to what we're trying to do in the government, we're thinking about the things that are common enough that someone else could do them for an agency so that they can go do more of what their mission is. And they can be less focused on things that really are, if you use the term in the PMA, the lower value work. So they can shift more work to the high value work. So I think that to that audience, I hope that helps explain what we're trying to do. And we know that where those opportunities are or in some of the administrative areas, right? Human capital, hiring people, finance, doing accounting, um, you know, acquisition, right? There are so many things there that if you were to ask an agency, they would say, you know what? My agency and that agency and that agency, we kind of do all of those things the same way. There are always nuances, right? But for the most part, we're probably about 80% the same. So how do we come together to try to get scale? And then if I'm talking to my family in the Midwest, I say scale is important to you because that's a better use of your taxpayer dollars. Mm -hmm. Do we need 108 time and attendance systems in the federal government? And if I were to tell you that your taxpayer dollar, your hard-earned dollar was going to pay for 108 time and attendance systems, I would think that you'd be pretty upset. We're trying to change that. And that's what this space is giving us an opportunity to change that. That's excellent. So, you know, given your new role and your portfolio, what would you say are your top, I don't know, top management challenges you face? And how have you sought to address those challenges? So it's been really interesting, especially in the last few, the last year or so, because I think the idea, some people told me 
when I took the job to come stand up USSM at the end of an, the last administration, and they said, why would you do this? Are you crazy? Your risk appetite is off the charts because you don't know if the new administration is going to care about shared services. And you're going to go stand up in office that for the first time ever tries to look at shared services across all of these, the whole government and all across all of these lines of business. And I said, you know what? It matters. It's the right thing to do. And if it turns out that it doesn't, it's not a priority, we'll figure out what else to do because something will be a priority. Um, and so I think managing risk has been a really interesting journey over the last couple of, of, of years. What I've observed, though, is, and this is going to sound a little bit like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth, so forgive me, but what I've observed here is that is culture. Culture is a management challenge at every single level of the government, but it's also a management challenge outside of government, right? Change is hard. Change is hard for people. It's not about IT being hard. It's not about, you know, the process. It's just about thinking differently about what I do every day and helping people understand that change doesn't necessarily mean that their value is no longer there. It means we can redefine value. Mm -hmm. And I think that's that's a really big and important lesson. And, and this change management effort and the culture goes so deep in these organizations that it really does require leadership. But on the flip side of that, what I would say is I have seen and met so many people across the executive branch who really do want to change things. Mm -hmm. I mean, who really are saying we don't need 108 systems anymore. I don't need to own my own IT anymore. I don't need to do X, Y and Z anymore. Right. And so it's it's this interesting push and pull of how hard it is to change things and how many people I've met who really want to. And how do we bring those things together to really try to move this forward? I mean, I know we'll get back to that, but you mentioned the private sector, public sector. So you've spent time in both. How do you, how does that private sector experience help inform how you're thinking about the future? Gosh, Jesse, you asked me that as if private <laughs> feels like a long time now since private <laughs> sector. Um, but what I guess I, I would say there is, it, it helps you, it helps you with some kind of grounding on the way it actually can work in private sector and some of the challenges that they have versus the challenges the government has and, and, and recognizing that government isn't private sector, right? You have that perspective. Since I've been in government now for 13 plus years, it's it's becoming a little bit more important, and I see this across government, that we're engaging with industry so that we can keep up on what the best practices are with industry, whether you've worked there or not. Um, what I will say is when I talk to my industry peers and colleagues and I say, hey, this shared service thing, it's a thing you all do too, right? All these big Fortune 500 companies, like 90% of them have implemented some model of a shared service. Was it hard? And they say, they answer the same way, culture. Yeah. People don't want to change. change but we try to make that unique to government. And it's not. It's about change management. And it's not just that the government doesn't want to change. It's that this is a hard thing to do and that you really have to start at the top levels of any organization and kind of set a strategic goal. And I really do think that's what they've done in the PMA. So, you know, would you tell us a little bit more about yourself and how you got to this current role? 
Yeah, so I, when I was 11, I did not dream of being the head of the Federal Shared Service Program. <clears throat> I don't think anyone does. Anybody share it no one does. No, that's not a thing. Um, so I really just kind of fell into this, right? And I feel very fortunate to have done that. Um, it's been quite an interesting journey. As I said, I started in private sector as a mutual fund accountant oh, really? mm -hmm, and um, kind of pivoted into some consulting work overseas. And then... Again, stumbled into an opportunity to consult at the Treasury Department, where we, where I was uh, supporting them and building some government-wide applications for financial management, and then that turned into a career at the Treasury Department, uh, in in government-wide accounting, really. And then uh, is when I moved into the executive service. Was when I was at the Treasury Department. I have to tell you that. There are great places to work in the government, and from a learning about management perspective, mm -hmm. I learned so much and feel really privileged to have grown up at Treasury. Um, and in the same vein, I feel really privileged to work at GSA right now, to have been given the opportunity to come stand up a new office, which isn't really something that happens very often in the government, right? A little bit of a flair of a startup, mm -hmm. and to really try to drive change. And to do that at GSA, you know, the leadership at GSA has been really wonderful and super supportive. and feel very, 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 very lucky to work for, especially now, such a strong group of, of women, you know, female leaders. It's been a it's been a really cool opportunity. But they really do have an appetite at GSA for helping to change and make government more efficient. So I think it's the right fit. My philosophy on my career, though, hasn't ever been that I thought I was going to be this. But I am really driven to make government better. I have two kids, little kids. And so it's important to me that we are doing everything we can to make this country be what it needs to be for them. You, Beth, you've consistently mentioned that to drive change takes leadership. So given your experience, what are the characteristics of an effective leader? And perhaps you could sort of highlight some of your leadership principles that kind of drive you. Uh, so my personal philosophy is that you're only as strong as your team and that you have to recruit and retain the best to be able to really drive change. And a lot of people can sit around and talk at a table, mm -hmm. right? A lot of people have a lot of really good ideas. But what's important right now is that we're actually moving the needle and we're actually moving to implement. And you are only going to be as strong as the people that you bring to help you do that. So that's my first, my first opinion. My second one is that um, lead with humility and subject matter expertise, not with your title. I uh, so often, and I think it's a culture thing, again, you run into people who start with, I'm SES, mm -hmm. right? I start with, I'm trying to learn as much as I can about a, sh a strong shared service model, and I want to learn more. Um, and I really do think that that's how you build trust. And I think trust and relationships, especially in this town, are a really important and critical component to being successful. What are the strategic priorities for GSA's Office of Shared Solutions and Performance Improvement? We will ask Beth Angerman when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. This is The Center This Week, highlighting the latest trends and best practices for improving government effectiveness. Brought to you by the IBM Center for the Business of Government. I'm Michael Keegan, Managing Editor of the Business of Government magazine. The Center this week is our opportunity to inform and most importantly, to invite you, our listeners, to use the IBM Center for the Business of Government as your resource, a how-to resource for improving government effectiveness at the state, local, and federal level. 
Our forum also provides three distinct yet complementary perspectives on the importance of strategic enterprise risk management. Professor Karen Hardy leads off and introduces the concept of enterprise risk management. Well, actually, you know, there are several definitions out there to define enterprise risk management. It's somewhat rather cryptic, to be quite honest with you. But at the end of the day, enterprise risk management is pretty much the process by which the management of risk within an organization are not just confined to a specific area or discipline like information technology or human resources, but these these risks are raised to the executive level within the organization so that the nature and impact of those risks uh, can be considered and assessed at the most strategic level within the organization. Hardy illustrates the benefits and challenges of pursuing an enterprise risk management strategy and outlines recommendations to government leaders. You know, the benefits are, are pretty anecdotal at this point because we're at a place where we can't really quantify or measure those benefits. Uh, again, risk management or enterprise risk management is pretty much in its infancy within the government uh, space. But in terms of benefits, I would say that initially agencies have a chance to gain a cultural understanding of the importance of how to sustain high credibility as an agency when it comes to managing risk. Another benefit would include um, the opportunity for agencies to make more educated decisions about how they operate their agencies. Now, on the flip side of that, some of the challenges uh, for enterprise risk management uh, really include providing the appropriate foundation and assessment and the management platform for actually implementing enterprise risk management. If you don't have the senior buy-in, if you don't have a structural or a platform or even a standard for implementing enterprise risk management, then that really causes a huge challenge within organizations as far as moving forward. More information on this and other center resources is available at businessofgovernment.org. There you will find how the business of government is not business as usual. For the IBM Center for the Business of Government, I'm Michael Keegan, and this has been The Center This Week. The federal government can reduce costs while improving services by adopting private sector cost reduction strategies and technologies to achieve similar benefits in government. Check out the IBM Center special report, Transforming Government Through Technology. It outlines how technology-based reforms can reduce federal costs by more than a trillion dollars over the next decade. Download Transforming Government Through Technology and all center reports at businessofgovernment.org. How is the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, EPA, getting back to basic? What are EPA's strategic priorities? And how is EPA changing the way it does business? Join host Michael Keegan next week as he explores these questions and more with Henry Darwin, Assistant Deputy Administrator and Chief of Operations at EPA. That's next week on the Business of Government Hour. The Business of Government Hour, Monday at 11 a.m. on Federal News Radio, 1500 a.m. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and our guest today is Beth Angerman, Deputy Associate Administrator at GSA's Office of Shared Solutions and Performance Improvement. Also joining our conversation from IBM is Jesse Sandberg. So I'd like to step back a little bit and give our, our audience some context around some things they may not be familiar with. But before I do that, I'd be remiss in not bringing up 
your leadership of the Unified Shared Services Office, Management Office. And I was wondering if you could tell me, what are some of the successes that you are proud of in that effort, and how are they helping you move this new office along? So I'm I'm really proud of the framework that we've laid out because first you lay out a framework and then there's a lot of like, are they actually going to use the framework (laughs) or is it just another framework, right? Mm -hmm. Because the government, we're we're pretty good at that. Uh, So what we've done is we've laid out a framework that includes kind of three really key components and that is standards. So what does this mean to the my family in the Midwest? And that is we have to actually agree as a government on what it is we could share. So let's talk about what is common across us, right, across these agencies. What is a common set of capabilities that we can buy that we could all actually share? You can't go out and buy it, which then is actually going to drive the efficiencies, right, getting better solutions in place until you identify what it is you're going to buy. And we have to do that government-wide, which is really hard to do to get the entire government to agree on a, on a common way or a common set of things that we're going to actually do. But we have a framework now for doing that. Mm -hmm. We have a framework for, in addition to defining what it is those capabilities are, what is the data? We're really trying to move to more of a data-driven government, less about the system we use and more about the data that flows through it, right? And that is an important component of doing the the standards work Mm -hmm. because when you have those pieces together, then we can actually start to say, we've all agreed now on what we're going to share and let's try to move toward actually sharing it, right? So we have completed the standards for several lines of business, right? Several areas or functional areas, including HR and finance. Um, And that's in partnership with the Treasury Department and OPM and different parts of GSA and DHS really working together for the first time ever to say, hey, those finance rules, they matter to the HR community, And no one's ever really done that before, right? So we've really kind of, again, in my effort to engage the right stakeholders, we're we're continuing down that path. So standards is important. The governance model. So we have a shared solutions governance board that really does advise uh, OMB on the strategy of this going forward. That's representing the representation is actually of two people from every C-suite which is supposed to be the customer voice, mm-hmm. right? Where it's really important that we're we're talking to the future users of these services so that we make sure that we get it right. Um, and the gov- so the governance is important. And then I would say the third thing is obviously the work that we did to influence what's in the president's management agenda, mm-hmm. right? That is all about a, part- a strong partnership across agencies, my office and OMB, to lay out this strategy moving forward. And I think Finally, what I would say is we've actually already moved forward with acquisition as well. So we are moving toward actually buying some of these these services that we've been talking about. And uh, I think that's the actual when the rubber meets the road. When people say, what are you actually doing? It's that. I mean, there's a pendulum in government that swings from decentralization to centralization. And you could think of education as an example. We let the teacher do what they want. No, we're going to prescribe exactly what the teacher has to do. So and I think that's part of the reason people are sort of suspect. They've been down this kind of curve. They've tried it themselves. They've centralized. How do you how do you define shared services as that spot? I call it the sweet spot between them where people are innovative, but we're going to centralize some of the processes. So centralization for me and the, and the way that we've defined it in the PMA is this is a thing that everybody does mm-hmm. that is so standard 
that it makes sense for it to be done in one place by one agency. So some examples are like the Treasury Department, for the most part, makes all of the payments, right, for the federal government. We don't have other agencies out there with their own payment systems, right? We have centralized that. And by doing so, it's a standard process. There's a standard set of data and there is, you know, a standard set of technology to support it. Same thing in OPM processes all retirements, right? That that is something that is OPM's mission to do, and it is very standard. And and the other kind of nuance might be if the thing is so unique to government mm -hmm. that we only really want to invest once in it, right? There might be an opportunity there for more standardization as well and centralization. On the flip side, to your point, Jesse, it's where do we have things that we know we all are? It's pretty common. Maybe it's more at the 80% mark than the 99% mark. Um, and there's opportunity for competition, right? There's actually opportunity to have multiple solutions in place. Again, not 14, sure. right? But some so that agencies maybe have solutions that meet the complexities of their agencies. The mission of DHS and HHS and labor and OPM, they're, they're just vastly different, right? And so there might be solutions that we need for some of these really large, complex agencies that don't necessarily we need for some of the more, you know, the less complex agencies. And so we need a, a, a marketplace that allows for those variations. And I think that's the, the sweet spot for the shared services. And I also think it's not just about technology. It's about processing, too. Right? It's about kind of the, the routine work that people are doing and where do we have opportunities there um, to centralize that as well. So, you know, I was wondering, um, you've provided wonderful context around the subject matter. But and you hint, you gave us a nice understanding of the mission of your new office. But what if I was to ask you, what are your top three priorities going forward? Mm -hmm. um, what are they for the office? So broadly, it is to continue to support the execution of the PMA. And there are 14 cap goals or cross agency priority goals in the president's management agenda, um, of which we are really helping to lead on several of them. Obviously, we have a pretty a pretty dominant role with the shared service goal, with sharing quality services goal. But we're supporting OMB and other agencies, other lead agencies, and several of the other goals as well. So my first priority is to continue to stay focused and, and execute on the goals for which we're supporting. Um, the second one I would say is to, and we're, we're, as I mentioned, we're already doing this, is to move out of the we've got a strong framework and we've got a strong plan phase and start to move into execution. Mm -hmm. So you can see in the cross-agency goals where we have some very um, deliberate milestones that we are trying to meet, which will help to stand up what this marketplace needs to be um, so that agencies can actually start moving toward it. And we want to make sure that we are creating that marketplace in a timely way that it aligns to when agencies are actually going to need services or new systems, right? So it's about uh, it's about partnering with industry um, as my third as my second thing, and then as my third kind of key priority, I would say um, it's it's all about also supporting the agencies in this. We have a group of people who is really working with agencies. It's funny because when you talk to some of them, they say things like, we need more feds helping feds, mm -hmm. which is how we actually named our team, Thanks. right? It was when I sat with a lot of the leadership of across the government and they said, we just do because, you know, there's so many lessons learned and I'm not sure that this is the space where I can really get the right kind of the right advice from industry. And so can we just talk more about what you did 
agency acts that worked really well or what you did that didn't so that I don't have to make the same mistakes. So our team is really dedicated on helping to bring those lessons learned into tools and best practices and playbooks that will help agencies, but also we, we, we give them data. We actually take their own data, give it back to them and say, you know what, agency, there's this is an opportunity for you, right? This is a, a, a great opportunity for you to make a choice to modernize this particular function, and here's the data that really helps make the case for it. Um, and so that kind of connection between the policy making and the doers who are actually out there trying to implement, I think, is a really important part of my office. I mean, one of the tools is the M3 playbook, which can, so can you talk a little about it as a tool and how much agencies are actually availing themselves of it and using it? So M3 stands for Management, Modernization, and Migration, um, all three because when you're talking about transformations of the scale that we're talking about, it requires all three of those things, right? We're really kind of rethinking the playbook in the capacity, in the, in the context of the PMA, which is how are we going to help agencies do these kinds of big transformations in a thoughtful and repeatable way. What we have created in the, with the, the playbook is actually um, was a result of a lot of engagement mm-hmm. with over to say over 50 different companies and over 75 different um, agencies sat down and really built this thing. And we said, hey, this worked for us. This didn't work. Here's a template that gets you all the information you need. Put this in there, right? So it really was a collaborative effort to say, we need a standard process. We focused a lot on the early phases, which are planning, because what we've learned is that we don't necessarily do enough of that in government. What does success even look like? Which problem am I trying to solve? We just jump into, I need a new system, right? And then we blame it on IT being hard, except what's really hard is, what problem did you want the new system to fix, right? What process were you hoping would become more effective? So spending a little bit more time up front to define success, to really talk about what the impact of that is gonna be on your workforce, on your change management, right, on your business processes, and then to to create the right target, and then to really work through the implementation of it. And it can be a system that you use M3 to implement. It could be a new service that you use M3 to implement. The beautiful part of it is it also has a review process baked into it, which is government sitting together at different gates along the way and saying, how's it going? What are you learning? What's going well and what's not? And we bring the agencies, we bring my office, and we bring both sides of OMB to the table, right? The management side and the budget side, so that we can be looking at these investments in a smart way, in a very transparent way. Mm-hmm. How can folks learn more about both the M3 framework and the playbook? Yep, it's all on our website, ussm.gov, um, and we make it completely transparent. You can download templates. You don't have to use all of it. You can use some of it. We have, we see that it's agents, it's customizable. It's it's so that in a way that we can say, you know what, we get it. Maybe mm-hmm. the thing you're trying to do is a little bit different, but for the most part, I'm always a big fan of the 80-20 rule. There's no reason you can't use 80 of this. And I, and I think the other great thing about the playbook is that when you go to the playbook it's got these templates but in there it has actually we've baked in 
maybe you don't want to do these things, right? Because these are the things that we've seen that haven't worked in the past. You know, for our audience and shifting gears a bit, you have the Trump administration's executive order on cybersecurity. You have the PMA's focus on cyber. uh, And you also have the passage of the Modernizing Government Technology Act. And all of them uh, emphasize shared services. Um, Coupled with the advancement in technology, uh, these conversations sort of intensified. And where I'm going with this is how does shared services contribute to the federal government's cyber security response and how are cyber security risk assessments driving towards shared services? So I am not an IT cyber expert. I will start. That's my caveat. But here's what I when I explain this to my parents, I say, guess what? It is going to be more efficient and less expensive to protect two or three time and attendance systems than 108. Right. You're going to have your data in a place where it is from a protection perspective and a security perspective. You can really focus on one or two of those platforms than the cost that we are investing in trying to protect 108. So I just think that that's why you're seeing the shared service language pop up so much. It's because no one ever tells me this doesn't make sense to do. Everyone tells me it's hard, but no one does. No one says, Beth, you should back away from that. We should all have our own systems and we should all because we can't afford that anymore. And frankly, when you're really looking at the thought leaders in government, a CFO doesn't say, I want to own my own system. The CFO says, I want the data so that I can do the right analysis and advise my agency leadership on how we can do our mission better. I don't really care about the system. And that's the shift we're starting to see, uh, which is why I also think that you see this in the space of the cyber conversation so much, right, is because we can also use the shared service in addition to scale for taxpayers, standardization from a training perspective, but you also see it from a security perspective. I mean, Jeff Pond said the other day, 5% of the IT professionals are under 30 and 25% are over 60. What that said to me was, you're talking about the 108 systems that are up there that might end up being three. Those 108 systems are very old in all likelihood, being supported by these IT professionals who built them many years ago. And it was a very different time, especially around cybersecurity. But it goes back to the change management element, right? That those people still work in government. And so do we just not change government because of that? I dare to say no. I think we still have to change, but you have to redefine it. You have to help people see themselves in the future, however that is. What's next for shared services in the federal government? We will ask Beth Angerman, Deputy Associate Administrator at GSA's Office of Shared Solutions and Performance Improvement, when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. The federal government can reduce costs while improving services by adopting private sector cost reduction strategies and technologies to achieve similar benefits in government. Check out the IBM Center special report, Transforming Government Through Technology, a companion piece to a more detailed report by the Technology CEO Council. That report outlines how technology-based reforms can reduce federal costs by more than a trillion dollars over the next decade. Driving change in the federal government requires more than new policies or the infusion of new technologies. It requires a sustained focus on implementation 
to achieve positive and significant results. This IBM Center special report provides a roadmap for government leaders to do just that. Download Transforming Government through technology and all IBM Center reports at businessofgovernment.org. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and our guest today is Beth Angerman, Deputy Associate Administrator at GSA's Office of Shared Solutions and Performance Improvement. Also joining our conversation from IBM is Jesse Sandberg. So, Beth, we talked a little bit about the need for a relationship with, with industry and the public sector. Um, I personally am struggling a little bit with making sure that the public sector is ready for a private sector type performance and uh, program. Do you find that there's a tension on the government side when vendors come in and make suggestions about process improvements, for example? Yes, I think there's a tension, but I think it's because uh, there really are things that make government different than industry, right? I don't think there are a lot of things necessarily, but for example, budgetary accounting isn't a thing in industry, right? It's profit and loss type of, right? They're, that's profit and loss companies. We do budgetary accounting. We so there, is, there are nuances to the ways that we have to do our accounting or hire people that really do, I think, what people are looking for is recognition <laughs> of that from industry and a thoughtful way to acknowledge that we have some, some uniquenesses about us. But how do we bring those uniquenesses into some common business process reengineering in a way that doesn't make the government have to do it ourselves mm -hmm. or create unique processes that are just for government. We've been doing that for however many years, nearly decades and decades, and this is where we are today. Mm -hmm. So what we want to do is really, I think, lean more on industry to say, look, we have these commercial solutions and these commercial processes, right? And they work for industry. And if we just do these, these little things, these tweaks to these solutions, right? there might be a way that they could also work for government. And I think it's about how we pitch this and we recognize those differences that I think will get more of, of agencies on board. Mm -hmm. But when you walk in and you say government should just run like industry, you lose people because there are laws and statutory things in place that we really do have to recognize. I, I mean, I, again, ironically, this function is an opportunity for the private sector. Those of us that are out talking about sort of rationalizing technology, for example, it's not clear to me in the long run that the private sector is actually going to make more money. They're likely to make less because if more people share something, the cost should go down. So it, it's just a, a funny situation to be arguing against industry's best interest, perhaps. But that's a great point. I mean, and this is why I've always struggled, because we've been really engaged with industry in a lot of different capacities over the last three years, getting some of the best practices and learning what works. But at the end of the day, if we're going to do this right, there will be winners and losers, mm -hmm. right? We should not have, someone, someone likened it uh, the other night to 17 different types of ketchup, mm -hmm. right? When there are two or three that's how you're going to start to actually reduce costs because you don't have to worry about shipping in 17 okay. at a grocery store, right? I think it's a really good analogy, which is we know that going to one is probably a little bit too risky for the government, but you're never going to get scale mm -hmm. 
which is the whole point of shared services. You're never going to get standardization in terms of how we do our processes if you still let everybody go get whatever they want. So it's a little bit of you, you can't have your cake and eat it too. And I haven't, we haven't talked about that in a way that I think is really honest with industry. But I think that there's such a great opportunity for industry to partner with the subject matter expertise, right? The companies who've been working for years to help agencies in finance and in HR with the, the software vendors who own those commercial solutions to, again, let's bring it together and let's figure out how we can make the right investments in those commercial technology solutions so that it can also work for government. Mm -hmm. um, that's the whole point of this. Yeah. So, Beth, you know, um, I want to talk about the Office of Executive um, Councils and um, how important is it to have these folks that are really at the top level of these issues with the expertise, the SMEs, leveraging their experience, leveraging their insights to carry out the mission function you're working on. How critically important is that? I don't think there's anything that's more important. I would say that it is as important as the program managers who are in the agencies who are really trying to move the mission forward, right? And I think having both of those voices at the table, what we haven't done very well is have the latter at the table, right? And we're doing really well now, especially with the creation of our new office to make sure that the C-suite is represented and that we're hearing from them. Um, we're trying to also now engage. It's at the more of the working level in the government because those are the folks who will ultimately be the real end users of these services as well. So again, super critical, really important, but also really important that that, that community understands what the administration is trying to do with the PMA and that there's change management at every level that's required. Uh, and I think that's why, again, why we when we created my office, it became so important to have a very focused set of priorities for the C-suite because when everything's a priority, nothing is. Well, let me ask the other side of the question, which is you it's about consensus. So you've, you've invited the stakeholders in, you've empowered them, you've insisted that they be a part of the process, but consensus is really hard to build and how often do you find yourself having to step in and say, folks, this is the way it's going to go. We, we will never build exact consensus around this idea. Often, mostly because people are so busy that it's really hard from month to month for everyone to remember some of the nuances and the details of what the strategy is, not because they disagree with it. Um, what I would say, though, is that we didn't create a governance structure where everyone is voting on everything because that is not necessarily going to work either. Right. And, we, and we've we've learned that it really is an advisory structure to some folks at, at, at OMB who are really, I think, setting the strategy for the PMA and are, are able to make the decisions that will ultimately move some of this forward. So I, it's an important distinction to make. So, you know, Beth, earlier when I asked you about your priorities for the new office, you did mention the idea of sharing uh, best practices, lessons learned. Mm -hmm. And, and you, I think you hinted at the uh, solution teams you've created. I, I'd like for our audience who may not be so familiar, if you could tell us more about the Feds to Feds solution team and how exactly does it work? So I'll tell you this. We're, we're trying to build a team 
based on what we're hearing from agencies. So how it works today may be different than how it works a month from now and certainly than a year from now. I think flexibility is important. So pivoting and, yep. and doing that. That's yep. Because a key principle is let's talk to agencies and figure out what their problems and are them. and let's help them. <laughs> yeah. And problems change yeah. all the time. And so if we create a rigid structure on our side, we that won't work, right? Absolutely. And so a lot of it is about listening and a lot of it is about kind of documenting the kinds of problems agencies are having. And we've heard everything from, you know, I have this... I, have, I, don't, I don't know how to analyze the data to help me really think about where to start, mm-hmm. right? And so we help them with the data analytics piece. We bring together data that they report in many other places, and we help them tell the story because we don't want everyone to start everywhere. That is one huge lesson learned where it's, it will fail because it's too big, and so we really need to kind of have some very focused areas. We know we need to transform a function. We know we need, to, we need to fix something in HR, right? We need to do this. I either have an old system, right, to your point that I just need to, I need to modernize because it's risky or it's just not meeting my needs anymore. Um, or I actually have a broken process. Right? I'm just not happy with my, you know, how, how quickly I'm getting hires into the government. So how do we actually help the agencies think through, again, what does success look like? What is the process? What is the problem that you're trying to fix? And that's where when we start working with agencies, we immediately drive them to the M3 playbook mm-hmm. because no matter what problem, here's a good way for you to think about how you're going to document that's this, the actual address addressing of that problem and what success ultimately should be for your organization. I just have a follow on. If I'm an agency, how do I how do I access your insights? How do you guys get? I mean, you have other components of GSA that are actually selling access to contracts or whatever. And how do you how do you get the word out? What do you, what's your go to market strategy, so to speak? So, you know, obviously we work you know, through the councils through the a councils. lot, right? Okay. The councils is, the I think, the, the way that we can say to the agencies very quickly and easily, like, here's what we do. We're happy to help. Um, we, so we've done a fair amount of that. We've... Um, We've had, you know, good good teaming arrangements with some of the associations across D.C. where we can also connect with um, both industry and with government to help them understand where we can offer value. It's also important to recognize that where my office can't, maybe doesn't have the expertise to help in some areas, right, especially things like moving to cloud and whatnot, there's, there's a, a really specific set of people who know that. We, across GSA have a lot of people who are out there helping agencies. And so what I'd like to think of is that we're a, a good belly button to come to, to push, to say, hey, if we can't do it, let me let me find you the place in GSA that can. I had um, sort of a surprising interaction the other day with a big agency, big um, FM transformation, and I asked about a return on investment. I said, do you, have you gone through all of your current costs, the future costs, what what would that savings look like? And his answer to me was, I could make a return on, I could write this thing however I want it, right? I, I Return on investment is something sort of not typical in government, and I don't really use it in that way. What, how important do you think it is, and should we be pushing agencies to figure out what their costs are today? I think that's a really hard thing to do. I think there are a lot of efforts afoot that will help agencies get a better baseline. Things like the technology business model, the TBM, which is also another cap goal, 
which we are helping you know agencies figure out how they can implement TBM um, so that we have a better understanding of what agency IT costs are, but not just this is what I spend on IT, mm-hmm. but this is what I spend on IT for this particular program, or this is what I spend on IT across the organization and how it can help us make better investment decisions in the IT space, right? So I think there are things underway that will help agencies better understand their costs. And I you know, have to shout out to, to my GSA colleagues who are really spearheading that in, in GSA. I would say, though, that the return on investment in the shared service space oftentimes comes more in the benefit of standardization, right? The idea that, my goodness, in the one of the biggest problems that we have in this town is that we steal our resources from each other all the time, right? So I worked at one agency for two years, and now I work at another agency for two years, and it happens all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but what happens is we have to retrain our workforce, mm-hmm. right? Even if they move from one finance shop to another finance shop, well, we use a different system, and we have a different process, so you're starting from scratch. So how do you quantify the benefit of it now takes, like, so much less time for Sue, who now moved from this agency, to learn my process because we're all using the same system, right? Or the benefit to even the employee because now the, the process is the same, so my value is more about the data side of things, right? Or really helping the, the finance function to be more efficient. So there's so many, I think, other benefits to this. I think that what a lot of people have said is, look, do you want to pay for 108 systems or do you want to pay for three? And how, right? And, and who doesn't believe that that's going to be cheaper? And even if it's not cheaper, even if it's the same cost, but I'm not running these old legacy systems that potentially have security risks and are inefficient, right? If everything stayed exactly the same, but the technology was way better, wouldn't that still be progress? So I think the fact that we've rooted this in the idea that there has to be cost savings, I think that's going to come, but I think that comes once you start to also get scale. Mm-hmm. The early adopters may not see the same kind of cost, saving, cost savings as the laggards do because the idea of a, of a shared service model is that you get savings from scale. So you have to get enough scale to hit the savings mark, which means you might have to make an investment early so that the payout comes at the end. So the benefit to the early adopters could be something more along the things I talked about, which are training and standardization. Well, let's just on the inv- just about the investment. So we're not sure how much we're going to save. We're pretty sure things will be a lot better. How, mu- how do you figure out how much you want to invest, I guess? If we knew the return there'd be an easier way to get the money to invest. In my estimation, if, if I could save $100 million, I could get the money to transform. If I said I'm not really sure, how are we going to get the investment money? What, what do you think that strategy is? I think we have enough information to understand what the investment has to be. I think part of the pivot to the software as a service model is that Government has a challenge with continuing to access capital to invest in all of our legacy systems, which is why they're legacy, right? What I don't want to do now is create the next generation of legacy Legacy. systems, right? Like, that's not helping my kids or anybody else's kids. So the pivot to the software-as-a-service model is basically saying, you know what? We're done. We get it. We don't have the money to keep investing in this stuff. But you know who does? It's out there. It's industry. The companies who really build the systems that do these types of services are constantly investing and reinvesting in those solutions. Now, 
Do those solutions meet those federal specific needs? That's where we're asking industry to partner differently, right? So that you can make sure that they do. Um, but that's why we're making that shift is because we believe that's where the capital is. I don't think that we're ever going to get any more of the capital to keep investing in 108 time and attendance systems. Mm -hmm. So let's go where the money is. There's, there's a couple of different ways we can think about private sector investment. One is... Um, the private sector will put up the financing and government will pay it back. That's simply sort of, it, it becomes a bank, a private sector bank, which is probably a good thing, but that's different from your software as a service discussion. How, how does the private sector play in this environment? Would a private sector shared service provider standalone be an acceptable solution if it turned out to be less costly and more efficient? Or does a government agency have to sort of control the process and the, the shared service center? So we've, it's a great question, and we've done a lot of work over the last, well, I guess I should say 50 years <laughs> um, uh, to answer that and what is the, the best model. And I do think that we have answered it. Obviously, it will need to continue to evolve in the PMA. And, that, and here's the, the truth. Every time that we have let government go directly to industry, what's happened is that they have customized or gotten their special snowflake requirements in there. And the result has not been that we get scale and efficiency and standardization. It's been everybody gets their own system. And now we have the next generation of legacy systems. Okay. And, and so I think we have to acknowledge that. So is there a role for government in this space? And I think absolutely. I don't even think anyone disagrees with that anymore. And it's because who's incentivized to say no when an agency shows up with all of their special th things that they think makes them special? Mm -hmm. It's never going to be industry. It shouldn't be. It's not their motivator, right? You, you said that earlier. And so, and so who's going to be in that role? And it has to be government. Government has to be responsible for itself in driving to a standard model. And that's why that role becomes so critical. Now, how big and heavy does that role have to be? Well, we don't think it needs to be quite so quite as heavy as, as it's been in the past. I think it's about it's about being that that con that contact with customers. It's about helping customers really work through where they think they have differences in terms of requirements. The change management piece, um, the integration of services. So, if we're going to have more than one you know solution for some of these different areas both technology and, and service support, processing support, somebody needs to integrate all of that. Someone at the government level needs to make sure that as the partnerships start to emerge in, in industry, that those partnerships are producing the right result for government. Um, and so, yeah, I do think there's a role for, for government. Beth, I often ask my uh, guests about you know the use of collaboration and partnership to achieve mission results. And so, you know, you've kind of hinted a couple of ways, if not just directly stated it, but I wanted to get a sense of for the future, how do you think you're going to be leveraging partnerships and using collaboration to achieve the mission of your new office? So we've talked about the role and the relationships with the executive councils. We have obviously have a really good uh, relationship with the Office of Man Management and Budget and with the GSA leadership. I think that the one that we're really continuously trying to invest in is the one with industry okay. because we want to make sure we're sending a signal that look government's going to be thinking differently but we need industry to think differently too this is not the same old way that we thought we were going to do it right 20 years ago it's different 
everyone should be a little bit uncomfortable right now because that's the only way you know you're making a difference, right? So if you are a little uncomfortable in your industry, then I feel like I've done my job well. What I do think, though, is that we need to make sure that we're very clear about what it is we're thinking and where we actually have some expectations of industry to be different because we want you to bring the best stuff to the government, right? We have an appetite now for IT modernization and all of the best technology. So really, we're putting the burden on industry to, to bring it, like show us the money, right? And I, I think that that's right now why we're spending so much time with the reverse industry days. So we had, last year we had a reverse industry day and we had- Could you, for our audience who yes, may not be, yes. could you explain what that is? So there's a stage before the government starts to actually buy something mm -hmm. from industry where we actually do market research so that we understand, is there even, is there a supply out yeah. there for this thing we wanna buy? And usually there is, but is it going to meet the government needs? Does the government need to change so that we can make that work and fit into our processes? It's a really important stage or part of the acquisitions process. And so when we have we host as a government reverse industry day is what it is, is the government sits in the audience and we bring industry in and we say, show us what you've got. Right. Make us excited about the idea that we're going to get this great new tool that you have. And here's how it's going to make government and my job more efficient. Right. And so it's an opportunity for the government to stop talking, mm -hmm. which I think is important to do every now and again and, and to start listening. Mm -hmm. We've done that for payroll. Uh, for time for work schedule leave management, which is just time and attendance, we've done it for finance systems. Um, we're and we're starting to do it for several other of the areas that we're going to be investigating what a future marketplace should be. Great. So, you know, what advice would you give someone who's thinking about a career in public service? So, two things: um, you have to be passionate about something in public service. It's not about working for the government, right? It's about it's about feeling like you want to come to work every day and deal with the ch the fact that change is so hard, and that something drives you, something motivates you. Um, for me, I, as I said, it's about uh, it's about creating a government for my kids that will be more efficient than the one we have today. Um, and you also have to have realistic expectations. Government is, is it's a it's a it's a massive organization, right? And and we don't have the same missions, and people have different motivations, and people have different priorities. So to move the needle and really make change, it's going to take a little while. So manage your own expectations, um, and make sure that you are thinking through an opportunity in government in a way that is collaborative. Because I've never seen anyone really be successful at this kind of transformation by themselves. That's great. So thank you for coming in and spending some time with us. But more importantly, Jesse and I would like to thank you for your dedicated service to the country. Thank you very much for having me. This has been the Business of Government Hour, a conversation with Beth Angerman, Deputy Associate Administrator at GSA's Office of Shared Solutions and Performance Improvement. My co-host from IBM has been Jesse Sandberg. Be sure to join me next time for another informative, insightful, and in-depth conversation on improving government and its effectiveness. For the Business of Government Hour, I'm Michael Keegan, and thanks for joining us. This has been the Business of Government Hour. Be sure to visit us on the web at businessofgovernment.org. There you can learn more about our programs and get a transcript of today's conversation. Until next week, it's businessofgovernment.org.
The federal government can reduce costs while improving services by adopting private sector cost reduction strategies and technologies to achieve similar benefits in government. Check out the IBM Center Special Report, Transforming Government Through Technology. It outlines how technology-based reforms can reduce federal costs by more than a trillion dollars over the next decade. Download Transforming Government Through Technology and all Center Reports at businessofgovernment.org. How is the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, EPA, getting back to basic? What are EPA's strategic priorities? And how is EPA changing the way it does business? Join host Michael Keegan next week as he explores these questions and more with Henry Darwin, Assistant Deputy Administrator and Chief of Operations at EPA. That's next week on The Business of Government Hour. The Business of Government Hour, Monday at 11 a.m. on Federal News Radio, 1500 a.m. On June 21st, AFCEA Nova and their co-hosts, the Signal Corps Regimental Association, are proud to present the 17th Annual Army IT Day at the Ritz-Carlton Pentagon City. This one-day conference will provide you an opportunity to hear from senior Army leadership, program managers, and industry about pressing issues, challenges, and opportunities in enabling the battle space of things. You'll gain insight into your business development forecast and how you can impact the mission and your bottom line. Register now at afcianova.org. That's afcianova.org. Federalnewsradio.com, your one-stop shop for all things federal. Listen daily to interviews with federal managers and government contractors. Read Mike Causey's daily federal report or just stop by for an update on the latest news affecting the federal community. Federalnewsradio.com, your source for federal news now. WFED Washington, WTOP FM HD2 Washington, WTLP FM HD2 Braddock Heights Frederick, Federal News Radio.com and 1500 AM.